Uh, let's turn to the word. So on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesareth, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night or toiled all night and then and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Luke has a, is quite unique in the way that he brings the gospel. He is unique in, in that he uh, provides, of course, a lot of historical detail to his gospel. But he's also unique in that he takes the time to, to describe and to create pictures, really, powerful images of how the gospel takes root into the hearts of men, how Jesus brings the gospel to the people. And in this text, Luke creates several very powerful images. Uh, you can't really read this text and be confronted with those images. You, you, you see this, of course, tremendous miracle, and you can kind of picture it as you read it. And, then, and this confession of Peter as he falls down prostrate before Jesus, you know, confessing Jesus as the Lord. And uh, we've come actually at the beginning of a journey. Jesus is about to call these men on a journey. And he's going to teach them these foundations to follow him on this journey so that they actually can uh, be involved in the mission of Christ, which is to bring the gospel to lost people, which is, which is to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. But as we come to this text here in chapter 5, we need to understand it in the greater context. When we uh, go to chapter 4, we realize that Peter and his companions already had a significant relationship with Jesus. So you turn to chapter 4, and you read, for example, in verse 38, that uh, Jesus had been a guest at his home, and that Jesus actually had healed his wife of a fever. 
so she could serve uh, the guest. Peter and his companions had witnessed great miracles of Jesus. Verse 39, his mother-in-law was healed. Verse 40, we read about all the variety of illnesses that, uh, that, that Jesus had healed of the people that had come to the house to hear him speak. Uh, we, we read in chapter 4 that they had seen Jesus' power over the demonic forces. Uh, they had heard tremendous testimonies about Jesus. Verse 34, even the demons confessed that he was the Holy One of God. They had heard that. And of course, they had heard the confession of the crowd who spoke of Jesus as one who thought with authority, unlike that of the Pharisees. And with all this, you come to chapter 5 and you realize that Peter was still a fisherman. And, uh, you know, and he knew all, all what is to know about fishing. He had a little company. Uh, he had been fishing probably since he was very young with his father. And so he knew everything there was to know about fishing. He was an expert at his job. And, uh, and you would think that if you're an expert at something, that you perceive that to be a strength. And usually it is a strength. I mean, you, when you, when you become an expert, you are, it, it's, it's a strength you have. And, uh, he perceived it to be such. But what he perceived to be a strength, Jesus was going to use to show him that he needed to come to grips with him. It was actually a weakness in some sense. Sometimes our strengths become weaknesses because it keeps us from seeing ourselves as we truly are. And, uh, and so it is with, it is in this kind of context now that you come to chapter five and this startling command or request of Jesus in verse four to go to take the boat into the water again and to go fish again. Now, you got to put yourself on the beach. Picture yourself on the beach. Jesus has been sitting on that boat. He has been teaching a thousand, two thousand people. You know, mo most of these people are fishermen. They're acquainted with fishing. You know, and uh, he's telling them now, Peter, go back into the boat and go fishing again. And you can probably just hear a pin drop. Everybody is focused on Peter, on Jesus, and everybody's thinking, what is Peter going to do? Because they all knew, contrary to experience, that you did not fish during the day. You just never catch fish during the day. And so there is silence. And everything is focused on Peter. But we read in our text that despite all of this, Peter, it says, obeyed his master. Now, the question I have, and maybe you have the same question right now at the moment, is why did Peter obey? What motivated Peter, Peter to obey? Uh, in the NIV it says, Master, we've worked all night, but I haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Why did Peter obey? Think about it for a second. Why do you think Peter obeyed? Do you think he obeyed out of a sincere faith 
that Christ would and could help him catch fish. Do you think that's why he went back into the water with his boat? Did he obey out of respect, out of obligation for Jesus as master? Obviously, he knew Jesus to be a powerful man who had done great miracles. Did he obey because he may be taught that he, that he could do it? Now, you, having lived in the Middle East, there was something else going on at that beach that you may not be aware of, but which was very, very real. And these were some of the cultural pressures that Jesus was using to get to Peter. Now, in the Middle East, appearance is extremely important. And to lose face is an absolute no-no, especially of someone who is a master, a rabbi. And I believe that Peter, at this particular point, is really thinking about how can I get out how can I get Jesus out of this situation? What if we don't catch fish? He's going to lose face. His appearance as this powerful master is going to lose a lot of credibility. Can you picture that? And so I think as Peter is pulling the boat back into the water, he's hoping and praying for the best hoping that he's going to catch fish, that Jesus will not be humiliated. But you see, Jesus is not just your average Jewish rabbi. He's not just your master. And for Peter to come to grips with his calling to follow Jesus, his perception in the face of Christ needed to change. It needed to change. Because Jesus knew exactly who Peter was. I mean, for those of us who are familiar with Peter and the Gospels, Peter is portrayed as a confident man. Self-sufficient. He was often impetuous, impulsive. He was always on the move. He knew what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And often relied on his own strength. Jesus knew who Peter was. Now what is true of Peter is true of us. Jesus knows who we are. Jesus knows who I am and who you are. He knows your strengths and he knows your weaknesses. He knows everything about you. You see, and Peter needed more needed to know more of Jesus. He needed to know that Jesus was more than just a Jewish rabbi, a master. And what is true for Peter is true for us. Now you have to understand Peter's world. Judaism at the time of Peter existed in, in lots of sects, actually. And a lot of these sects Sext had these, uh, you know, foundational beliefs, monotheism, the covenant, the Torah, 
you know, they, they had that in common. There was lots of differences. And at the time of Peter, it was the Pharisees who were the most dominant sect. They had a lot of religious and political power. And in this world, you really did not choose the master. The master choose, chose you. And so, uh, when, when, when Paul, for example, in Philippians 2, describes his pre-Christian experience, and, and he challenged the Philippians not to trust, to have no confidence in the flesh, he said, look, if, if you think you have confidence in the flesh, I had more. And then he goes to this entire resume. You know, Hebrews of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin. And then, you know, he's got this great resume. And then he says, if anyone thinks he has more reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he closes as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. And so this was very important. You know, if, 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 you know, if you were chosen by one of these great masters, you could get to the sport where you could say of yourself, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Now, Paul does not say here that he is sinless. But if you follow all the rules and the regulations, the rabbinic traditions, you can actually call yourself faultless, having obeyed all the commandments, the rabbinic traditions. This was Peter's world. You see, and you do what the master requires, and you're fine. You come to Sunday school, you read your Bible, you do all the things that you need to do in the church, and you're good. But this, this master relationship will often feed your ego and your pride. And that's really what he, what he gets to when he talks to the Pharisees. Look at your pride and, 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 and your ego. You see, and, for, and, and, and some of that stuff actually allows you to cover up your unbelief. And, and, you, and, you know, and it keeps you from seeing yourself as you truly are. And so exactly when the fisherman found himself full of confidence and strength, Jesus enables Simon Peter to see himself and his master Jesus as they truly are. And again, put yourself on the beach. Within minutes of casting the nets, they catch such a large number of fish that the boats begin to sink. That is absolutely amazing. That God will go to that extreme, to that extent, to show himself to Peter, to you and to me. So Jesus shows himself to be omniscient. Knowing all things, he knew the whereabouts of the fish. And then Jesus shows himself to be omnipotent. He directed the fish to a particular place where Peter and his Companions were able to catch it and get it into the boat. That is powerful stuff. And so when Simon Peter realizes what has happened, who made it happen, and for whom it happened, he is completely and utterly undone. He has an Isaiah 6 moment. He does not, the only thing he can actually do is to fall prostrate before Jesus 
and cry out, Lord, away from me. I am a sinful man. And this is exactly the response Jesus intended for Peter. It is exactly the response that Jesus enabled Peter to have. That is an incredible picture of God's mercy. Having the gift of faith in, in, in Christ the Lord and being able to repent of your sin and to, to stand before God and, and, and have that humble, contrite attitude is something that God's got to work in and through us as he did here for Peter. And so this is the first fundamental principle then that we learn from Peter's interaction with Jesus as he comes to grips with himself in the face of Christ. Because how do we follow Jesus? How can we live and share the mission of Jesus on a daily basis if we do not sell, if we do not see ourselves as we truly are? People in need of constant repentance. That's what you did this morning on your knees. People in need of constant repentance. How do we keep the mission of Jesus, uh, of Jesus alive in our hearts if we do not humble ourselves regularly in faith and repentance before him? Now, secondly, uh, this whole pride issue we struggle with does not only keep us from seeing ourselves as we truly are, but it really also keeps us from discovering the true essence of the Lordship of Jesus. Now notice Jesus' response to Peter, uh, to Peter's confession and attitude. Now you have to remember that Jesus had every right to walk away from Peter. Jesus could have said to Peter, Peter, you really do not qualify to be my disciple, to be my follower. You're just not good enough. You don't fit the profile, whatever. Jesus could have said that, and Jesus could have said that to you and me. And uh, his, his, his righteousness, nor would his justice have been compromised. Uh, because all of us deserve judgment. All of us. But what does he hear? Instead of judgment, he hears words of mercy. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Now this little phrase, do not be afraid, is kind of the gospel cry of the Old Testament. You start reading the Old Testament and you see how many times God has to remind them, do not be afraid. Over 175 times it is used in the Old Testament. Do not be afraid. And so, with these words, Jesus tells Peter, listen Peter, I have come to bless you with my mercy. I have, I have come to show you how much I love you, and I've come to show you how to trust in my love for you. And with this, Peter really discovers the true essence of the Lordship of Christ, which is a Lordship of love. 
God sent his son into the world. He gave up his son into the world because he loved us. Peter and me. So in the short, powerful response, Peter discovered and the second principle to follow Jesus, which is coming to grips with who Jesus truly is. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega. His master is Adonai, the Lord Jehovah. And the Lord Jehovah loves Peter. The Lord Jehovah loves John and Kevin and me. That's, that's incredible. And coming to grips with that kind of love is a very difficult thing for us to do day in and day out. Think about whose love it is and what kind of love it is. It is the love of the Lord Jehovah and it is perfect, unconditional love for you and for me. That is a hard thing to wrestle with. It is for me because I know myself. I know my failures. I know how many times I disappoint Jesus. And yet, his love is unconditional. We really can't wrap our hand around wrap our heads around that. Because to us, love is conditional. For those of you who've been married a long time, you know what I'm talking about. Now again, put yourself in Jesus in, in Peter's shoes. Three years have passed. And Peter has seen it all. He's heard it all. And in Jesus' most needy moment, he betrays him three times. Jesus is dead. He's been crucified on a cross. And then when you, when you go to Luke chapter 24, you see how the women have gone to the grave, how the grave is empty. They run back to tell the disciples that Jesus is not in the grave anymore. And then we read this in verse 11. But they did not believe. Peter, however, got up, ran into the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. What do you think he was wondering about? Put yourself in, in Peter's shoes. Would you be confident to see the resurrected Jesus after you had denied him three times? Would you be fully assured that, that Jesus would say, Come here, Peter. I've come to bless you with my mercy. I've come to show you what unconditional love really is all about. Would you have that kind of confidence? And of course, we all know what happened. But I'm just trying to help you understand how hard it is to come to grips with God's unconditional love for us. And so this is the second fundamental principle we learned from Peter's interaction with Jesus is really to come to grips with who Jesus really is. How can we share 
and, and live the mission of Jesus on a daily basis if we don't really truly understand about this love of Jesus? How can we share the love of Jesus with others if we do not understand that love for ourselves? That's one of the things that when you do work with Muslims, they, you know, to share the love of God with a Muslim, if they can't see it in your heart, if they can't see it in your relationships, the message is going to fall on deaf ears. Now, thirdly, the last principle is to trust in God's rule, in God's power over all things. Peter and his friends now are ready to hear these words of Jesus and to take them to heart. Verse 11. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. But here is the key to the catching. The key to the catching was not going to be the fisherman's expertise. The key ingredient is going to be the need for faith in the power and the rule of Jesus over all things. And here I believe is really the, the, the trust of this great miracle. Because just as Jesus had known the whereabouts of the fish, he knows the whereabouts of those that have been chosen. Of those who have been prepared by the Holy Spirit to hear the word of God. In other words, you can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. You may be a great orator, you may have great talent, but you're not going to save anybody. God saves people. He has the power to save. And just as Jesus had directed the fish to a particular place where they could be caught, often Jesus will bring the people to you. You don't have to go look for them. He will often bring the people to you that he has prepared for you to be faithful to, for you to share his gospel with. That's how I came to know Jesus. Jesus brought me to a person from university as a 23-year-old. And he basically threw me in his lap. And three days later, I confessed Christ before tennis practice in front of my dorm room bed. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He is, we are not the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. And so then the greater context here of, the, of, of this, of this command to follow Jesus, to, to catch men for, for the kingdom of God, is we are called on a journey of faith. We are called on a journey of faith. And Paul adds to this faith love. Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Jesus says, love me, Peter. Love me, love one another, and love my commandments. If you're going to love me, you're going to want to obey my commandments. You're going to want to follow me. And so over the next three years, Jesus will show them, teach them how to love him and others. And how to, by faith, to step out in faith and share this Jesus with others. Now, this is such an, 
these principles were so vital and important that Jesus reduplicates the same miracle after the resurrection. So it starts with this miracle and it ends with this miracle. If you go to John chapter 21, you will read that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And guess what? The disciples are fishing again. And, uh, and Jesus tells them, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you will catch fish. And Peter, of course, immediately realizes who it is, takes out his outer garment, jumps into the water, swims to the, to the shore, and comes to stand before Jesus. And they have this great dialogue. And what does Jesus ask Peter? Does he say to Peter, Peter, you've graduated from Covenant Seminary or Westminster Seminary or RTS. You know, you've, you've got this, this degree, go plant my church. This is what he says, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Then feed my sheep. Jesus saying, look at me. I am the answer. I am the key. Do you love me more than these? So that's the question Jesus is asking you. How much do you love him? How much do you love him? And then in conclusion, notice that Jesus does not say you might or you should. He said you will. Jesus did not say unless you have certain gifts or talents or certain personality or disposition that you should be involved in catching men for the kingdom of God. He said you will all be involved. And why shouldn't you? You're not going to save anybody. But God can use us, every single one of us, to catch men alive for the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage in Luke. Thank you that the Lord Jesus is merciful to his people. I thank you for his great kindness, his great love for his people. Lord, I, I pray that we would learn how to love him well. That we would learn to pick up our cross, deny ourselves for the sake of him and the other for the sake of Jesus and our neighbor. Teach us, Father, how to love Jesus more and more. Teach us that we follow a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne. Forgive us of our fears, our, our pride, our selfishness, and the lust of our hearts that keep us, Lord, from loving him. But instead, let us bring it to him daily. 
And Lord, give us a, a love for his commandments. Lord, help us to desire to follow him and to obey him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.